They say friendship isn't one big thing, it's a million little things. And that's true for a group of friends from Boston who bonded under unexpected circumstances. A Million Little Things, also the name of a new show about those friends, debuting on ABC. Some of these friends have achieved success. Others are struggling in their careers and relationships, but all of them feel stuck in life. I will tell you, watch the pilot. It's really touching. Made me realize I have to call some friends of mine who maybe I've lost touch with, people who I know I can lean on, but I haven't been doing that. I have been very open about my mental health struggles. I'm not giving any spoilers, but I will say that that is a topic that comes up in the show. And uh, seeing a group of friends come together to deal with that, it was really beautiful. A Million Little Things is brought to you by ABC Studios and Capital Entertainment from writer and executive producer DJ Nash. Don't miss the premiere on Wednesday, September 26th at 10, 9 central on ABC. There's a lot of stuff in here that I think beautiful anonymous listeners are really going to appreciate. Very excited to tell you about a new podcast called The Dream. Across the country, people are selling stuff, essential oils, beauty products, diet supplements, sell them to their friends and their family through social media posts and parties. Now the host, Jane Marie, used to be a producer for This American Life. She grew up in rural Michigan, feels like almost everyone is impacted by these multi-level marketing things, okay? Find out what it's like from the inside of these businesses, how they work, and how they can go horribly wrong. Listen to The Dream in your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Hello to all my Parisian Subway fans. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. This is Chris Gathard. Thank you so much for listening. Very excited. Bringing you one of our live episodes that we just taped in London today. I'll speak more about that in a second. We're doing another live taping, though, in Toronto, September 28th. I'm going to uh, JFL, just for less. I'm doing a stand-up set. I'm doing a live taping. Jared's coming with me to Toronto. So Toronto listeners, I want everybody to come out. Also, go to chrisgeth.com and get tickets for that one there. We've got dates coming up in October for Brooklyn, Massachusetts, up in Cambridge. Los Angeles live taping. Never, I have not done a show in LA in years. Los Angeles live taping. Get your tickets right now. I bet it's going to sell out. We're also going to San Francisco and Portland. Go check it out, chrisgeth.com. Also, remember, Beautiful Anonymous, the Facebook group. Join it if you want. There was one uh, post. You know, sometimes people discuss episodes. Sometimes people get into philosophical discussions about how they feel. And then this morning, someone posted an article about raccoons that broke into someone's house and ate their English muffins. Because Lord knows we love English muffins around here. Okay, London live episode. You're about to hear it. I had so much fun. Thanks to everybody who came out as part of the London Podcast Festival out at King's Place. Cool venue, cool town, great city. I had a great experience there. I've had uh, tough times doing comedy there before career suicide. I've mentioned it on the show. This was great. Everybody was so nice. Thanks for coming out. You're going to hear Caller. Caller is uh, actually not from England, calling the English number, but from France. And you'll see, we get into it. I feel very put on the spot, which is always awkward, let alone in front of hundreds of people on stage. And then uh, I'm going to be fully honest. There are times where I think this call starts to feel maybe a little unique. We're a little bit like the rhythm of this is, uh, is very interesting. And then the caller starts to tell us something about them and their life experience, where their head is at. We're like, oh, we're starting to explore this, make more sense. And of course, 
France and England have a long-time rivalry, and you will have, I promise you, a good time listening to a French caller subtly judge England as hundreds of English people sit in an audience and watch. It's a good time. I enjoyed it. Thanks for coming out, London. We'll see you next week in Toronto. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Is it, is it actually me? I didn't know if it was me going on the line or someone else. It's actually you. It's the one who asked, is it actually me? <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Oh, first of all, Sally, I'm sorry, but I crashed like an Irish sailor. So just don't listen to this one at all. No, no, I want them to listen. Um, I, I'm, I, I actually called many times and never got through. And this time I was, well, I am in the Parisian subway. And I thought, oh, I'll call and I, I won't go through anyway. And uh, so I'm here in a Parisian subway. And also I really need to go to the loo. So it's kind of, and also I'm not sure I even have enough battery, but okay, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes, eh? So just to be clear, you're currently on a Parisian subway with almost no battery on your phone? Well, I guess I've got 30% something. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Great. Well, thank you so much. I just want to mention, in case it was not made clear to you, you might hear that um, this is one of our live shows. So there are... Uh, oh, I know. Awesome. Great. There's some I people know, here. I know. Yes, look at that. And uh, you've got, oh, I'm in a lift because this is the only quiet place in the whole of Paris. So every so often I'm going to go up, up and down and some people are going to go up and down with me. Like there is a woman who just came in with our two kids right now in the lift. So mm-hmm. this is where I am. So it does sound so like you're, you're surrounded by... Oh, no, you go. Sorry, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, it sounds like you're doing this phone call in a series of places where phones traditionally do not function. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, first thing being the low battery. Traditionally, phones Mm -hmm. don't really function with low battery, don't they? That is true. But it's going to go okay. It is. So, So, uh, so So you're back in London, eh? I am. Yes, I am, and I'm greatly enjoying it. I, I know London quite well, actually. I'm, I'm often in London because uh, one of my partners is there. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming often to see you, all you guys. Oh. And I used to live in Bristol as well, so I kind of know England, even though I'm not English myself. You said you used to live in Brazil as well? Is that what was said? <laughs> no. What? No, no. I'm not, oh, Bristol. I'm not, I'm not someone who was fun. No, no, Bristol. Yeah, Bristol. Bristol. Great. In, Everyone's in laughing Brazil. at me, just so you know. Everyone in this room is laughing. So, uh, where are you? Where are you, <laughs> where are you originally from? I'm. Uh, I've got a French passport, but I've been. Uh, I've been a, a European nomad for like 24 years or so. Oh wow! I know. So I've been like right, like right now. I've got a. Actually, my job just finished. Like the, like a few. I, I'm I'm literally back from my job in Paris. I was just there for 10 days, and uh, I'm gonna go to hike in the Pyrenees uh, tomorrow. For a week, and then I'm gonna go back to Slovenia, which is where uh, where I'm currently based, kind of, for six months. Um, so yeah, that's what's and that's a uh, my side. 
I, I legitimately have this question. I'm not trying to bring up uh, any sort of controversy in front of our, our London crowd tonight. That it, that is, that's a very European Union thing, huh? You can just travel from country to country and just live wherever you feel like, huh? Well, do we really want to get in there? <laughs> Where well, you were used to. <laughs> We, we used to until, uh, until everyone else but the crowd in front of you voted something that would not allow this to happen anymore. <laughs> I know. And listen, I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to make anyone mad, but I am, I am actually very, very interested in that. That sounds like such a romantic life to just go yeah. where you feel and then wind up in Slovenia for a while and then back in a Parisian train yeah. station. It's cool. <laughs> Well, there's, there's definitely something more romantic in the universe than the Paris subway, let me tell you. Uh, it's probably as romantic as the New York subway. Oh, the things it's, I've uh, seen on the New York subway. You have no idea. I once saw a man who had fallen asleep and a group of unruly teens were trying to light his foot on fire. What? Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, how is this here? Hey? <laughs> they were placing okay, matches gonna, in his I'm shoelaces. And trying to light that those matches on fire. It was did, dark. Did, did anyone do anything? No, no. They were incompetent oh, teens. Of and, oh, no, oh, you mean did any, I thought you meant like did anyone actually accomplish the task? First of all, no, they didn't do that. Also, no, it's New York City. No one did anything. No, no one stops any trouble on the street. So, so, so I take it you didn't even do anything. What's your excuse? Well, thank you for putting the screws to me. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the sad part, and I wonder, I feel like in many major metropolitan areas, one of the sad things is you become a little desensitized to a lack of humanity, and I've fallen into it. I, I will say this. I will defend myself and say this. I was with a friend, and the friend and I both kind of looked at each other and nodded and knew that if it went too far, we were going to have to stand up and say something. But at the end of the day, they were just some drunk kids and uh, uh, they bailed on it. But I'd like to think in my heart that I would you, step up. You, you had friend support, at least. I did hear a study that said that the more people there is uh, around uh, some kind of dramatic event like this, the less likely people are, are to be saved because people don't want to stand out, I guess. Yeah. And uh, if there is on, only one person, that person will save um, the situation. And, 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 yeah, m more people, less chances to be I've saved, heard the same which thing. Is I've also terrible. It is, it is. And I, I've, heard, I've heard that's why in the States it's 911. I think in London it's 999. I've always heard that if you call 911 or 999, you shouldn't, if you're in a situation where it needs to be called, you shouldn't just say someone call 911. You've got to point at some asshole and go, you, you're on the hook now. Call 999. And that person feels responsible and oh. then it gets done. That's just what I've heard. Good life hack. <laughs> good, good life hack. For, for, for real, for definite, like, like life and death hack. That's good. I'm going to remember that. Now, um, I, sorry, I was going to say something, but I forgot, so you might as well. No, I was just going to say quickly, here, I will expose my ignorance. And I know Americans are, uh, can be very ignorant when it comes to travel. If you had told me to guess what your accent was, I would have guessed Scottish. That's what I would have guessed. <laughs> Oh my God, you, oh my God. Okay, I, people often 
don't know where I'm from. I hear all sorts of stuff. You can't see me, so you can't really use my physical appearance to help you. Um, a few people, because of my physical appearance, they placed me somewhere south of Europe, which is not completely um, wrong since I'm French and I could be from anywhere being French. But um, uh, I did learn English in Scotland, but that was, hold on, so I'm 43. That was 20 years ago. Looks like this guy's so, uh, not such a dumbass after all. I have, okay, I'm going to say this, Chris, now. You are full of shit because every time I hear you say, oh, I'm such an ignorant, you never say something dumb. Every time you're like, oh, I'm such a stupid American, whatever, you always say something super smart, really informed, and, and just generally good and stuff. So you should really stop this shit because no one believes you. Well, thank you. That's nice. <laughs> I will say thank you for the I'm kind really good, words. Like, Although the aggression behind really, it was jarring. <laughs> I'm really good at giving offensive compliments. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful nice. So what you were about to say something so, uh, and I had, uh, I had interrupted. Um, I, I don't know. I lose my chain of thoughts really fast. I mean, I guess I was going to explain that I haven't actually gone back to Scotland and, uh, since my studying, my studying there. But I, I, I love this country. And uh, that country, um, so I, 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 I immediately took the accent um, with great joy, which was not the same when I lived in England. I never actually got English accent. And I think it's because, sorry, London, there is a bit of a divorce of personality between me and England. Uh, but Scotland, I immediately took the, took the accent and, and it took quite a few years for me to lose it. But... Lately, everyone said that I kind of had lost it. So I'm actually really, actually really chuffed that you, you, you found the English twang, the Scottish twang behind, uh, behind my English speaking. Uh, what can I say? I guess I'm the least ignorant man on earth. There you go. There you go. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I spent some time in Scotland at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and I greatly enjoyed it. I grew up around a lot of Irish Americans, which is not the same as the Irish people, um, but I will say that I found no. the Scottish to sort of be like a lot of the relatives I grew up with times 10. That was my, yeah. that's what I felt like. They were partying yeah. hard in Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, so, so far, uh, the Irish and the Scottish have been the people that I love the most in, in Europe, in the Europe that I've seen. The sense of humor is on point, especially the Irish. Just, it, it's fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, well, someone you're American. The, I have a... Uh, I, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you're really good at <laughs> twisting the knife when you feel like it, huh? I gotta watch out for you. Um, we have some people submitting uh, questions from the crowd via Twitter. Someone wants to know, can we get... Dave W. is asking, can we get a battery percentage update? Oh, oh, suspense. That's a, yeah, thrilling. Yeah, 35, 35, it's all right. 35. Yeah. I think we're going to make it through this hour. Yeah. And uh, someone, yeah, so, someone else wants to know, the, actually. The P percentage is more worrying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Someone else wants to know uh, where exactly you are uh, in the Paris subway, where, where you're headed to. Oh, connoisseur. Port Royal. Don't know what that is. I'm so sorry to say I was, 
It's it's a, it's a tube station. I was on my way from uh, Cité Universitaire, which is um, which is the university accommodation from uh, for the students, and it's in the south of Paris. And I was uh, on my way to uh, where I'm staying. I'm staying at a friend between uh, Gare de l'Est and Gare du Nord, east east train station and north train station. So that that subway, because because Jared actually picked up, and because I actually got through. Uh, I thought, okay, subway, that's not going to work, obviously. So I, uh, I just came out of the next stop, and here I am in Port Royal in the lift, in the lift, which is uh, metallic, metal, and uh, empty. And yeah, this is where I am. All right, all right. I'm sure those of us <laughs> who have been to Paris can picture it in our minds. I can't see. Yeah. So what else would you like to talk so, about tonight? Um, I, I said something to Jared. I was I was I was going to ask you what it's like to be a man in this very feminist society because I've become very um, concerned concerned about um, the, the masculine condition because amongst us the left left wing leaning feminist uh, anti discriminatory blah blah crowd. Um, men are quite bashed left and right, and and I'm seeing my friends, and I'm you know obviously I, I'm in contact with men quite a lot because you know half of the population and all that. Uh, I I'm getting I'm I'm becoming concerned at what it's like to be a man and to to be born as a man and and to have that kind of pressure and stuff. So I was actually going to ask you what it is like to be a man in society. Have you ever seen one of those action movies where the laser comes onto someone's head and they feel like a sniper is about to take them out? I think I know what that feels like. Um, let's see. I mean, here, here's the thing. I had, another, I had another topic which is possibly connecting to what's happening right now is we could also talk about being on the neurodiversity spectrum. So you, 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 you take your pick if you want. <laughs> on, on the which spectrum was that? Neurodiversity. Neurodiversity spectrum. Neurodiversity. Well, I'll answer the first question first, and then I'll follow back up to ask more specifically about what neurodiversity is, because it sounds fascinating. I'll sure. say this. Because I, I don't want to cop out, and I do. Although someone did just tweet at me, run away. Um, I'm. A, I will say this. Here's the sentence you're not going to hear me say. Here's the thing that I will say right out of the gate. I do not want to be misconstrued about. Here's a sentence that I will never say is that it's hard to be a man right now. That's not true. And when I hear men who say, "Oh, it's hard to be a man right now," I'm like, "Bull, fucking shit." Sorry, Sally. It's not hard. Um, if, if the idea that we're being asked, to, what's that? No, 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 no. You carry on. Oh, no. I, I was just gonna say I understand, but yeah, I, 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 am one of those people who say it is hard to be a man. It's not a question of saying it's, it's harder to be a man, but I'm saying it's hard to be a man. You're saying it's but hard we, to we be a man. We can talk about this later. I find that fascinating because mm -hmm. I don't think it should be hard to be asked to be a little more human and a little bit more responsible for your actions. I don't think that that's hard myself. I think that that... Yeah, I mean... I think that might be a hard adjustment for a lot of people based on culture and the way that it's gone, but I don't think that that's 
difficult? Well, okay. I think there is a small picture and a big picture thing here. Um, it's not hard to be a man on a small picture, um, in a small picture spectrum, but, Sorry, I was just going to say to these guys in the lift that I'm not coming out. You could be saying anything right now. <laughs> People could listen to this and say, she said, Gethard, fuck off, <laughs> fuck yourself. I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think you're saying on a day-to-day -day basis it's not hard to be a man. Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying that for perhaps the whole course of modern civilization, men have had it their way. So it's a little bit bullshit. I actually was on a television show where I played ah. a men's rights activist, and they wrote me the line, men have had it hard very recently, as a joke. And I do think it's like, in the past three years, men have had to watch their step a little bit more, but for the last 5,000, it's been the other way around. So it, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but... But this is slightly different from what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Men have had it their way, absolutely, 100%. That doesn't mean it's not been hard for them on an individual basis in a, in a, in a society which is putting a hell of a lot of pressure on boys to always be tough, be in control, be uh, powerful, being the best, always the best, always, um, always succeed, and uh, everyone is counting on you, boy, and don't cry and don't listen to your emotions. I mean, you should know that part. Um, and, and, and all of, all of those things. And I think, I think it's breaking men from a very early age and it's turning them into then what we see, what we see every day. So it's kind of like, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that what I'm observing is that being a man is a big factory for bullies. And, uh, and, and we, we, all of the other ones, all of the uh, oppressed people are at the receiving end of this big bully factory. And the bully factory is men's education, which is ridiculous. It's all about hierarchy and being the best and, and never being in touch with their emotions. And I, and I think, I think this, is, this is at the core of all of our problems. And, I, and the more I talk to my friends, the more I see that, uh, that they, are, they are individually suffering. I don't, I don't know. Would you, do you recognize yourself in anything that I'm saying? Or you're, 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 you're thinking, nah, it's okay. No, I find it very fascinating. I find it very fascinating. I mean, it, it certainly sounds like the foundation of this conversation is a little bit different um, between the two of us. And I don't know if that's just because of our individual personal perspective or a cultural <laughs> perspective that's a little different. I have heard, I do remember maybe reading something that was a, uh, I believe a French actress who said, no, I want men to hit on me. I, I, I don't understand why we're are teaching our men to, uh, to, to walk away from that. And so I, I think maybe just on that basic level, I'm, I wouldn't identify as French anymore myself because I've, I've spent, like, you, you catch me right now on a 10 day job in Paris, but I'm extremely rarely in France. I, I'm still 
needed into into French culture, of course, but I'm not I'm not one of those um, French people who are still quite attached to the gender traditions. In fact, I don't believe in gender at all, uh, and and I, I, I'm definitely not one of those feminists who, well, no, I'm definitely not one of those people who are going to say, oh, I like people hitting on me because blah, blah, blah. I, I'm a feminist through and through. I'm just that kind of feminist. She thinks that liberating men from that, 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 that stupid, hierarchical, power-driven, alpha male bullshit is going to be the starting point for everything else to go, to be less oppressed and to go more smoothly. But on a, on a daily basis, the, 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 the small picture, as I said, there's still a long way to go. But I, um, I don't know. When I hear my friends, uh, my male friends, I feel for them. I feel for the, I don't know that, you know, some guy is going to tell me that they, they don't have friends because, because they're sick of just going for beers and going for bowling, whatever, and they, they just want to have conversations about about their emotional states, and they just don't have that. There is no such thing. Or, or I hear another friend say that it's the first time in their life that they hear that they're beautiful. Or so many examples. Or, or some friends who who who's completely socially blocked and depressed because they don't fit that that going higher, going faster, going stronger and, and, and go, 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 be the best and, and everyone relying on you, they can't take that amount of pressure. So I think it, it, it destroys individuals. And who it doesn't destroy, they become really hard. They become like bullies and they kind of transfer that hardness onto other people around them. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? I do. I think there's, there's a big gap. Yeah. I will say you are thinking at this, uh, 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 you, you are thinking about this in a level that I will admit right out of the gate is advanced beyond most conversations I have. There's a lot of what you're saying that I do agree with. Um, I mean, I certainly, I certainly do think that like the male tropes, like you said, this hierarchy, this, you know, as an American, I think, uh, I think my culture more than most has a reputation for like, be a man, this macho thing. I agree. And I certainly, I certainly, uh, like when you say that, that leads to men having depression, I would say I might be living proof yeah. of that uh, yeah. and and you know we do you know, constantly you know uh that phrase man up and this idea you got to be a man about it go out there and be a man i do think that causes yeah. a lot of trouble and i do think that being someone who wound up being uh pretty non-masculine i will say someone named uh uh kitty did just tweet at me don't know if chris is the right guy to talk about the struggles of being too masculine <laughs> I think it's a fair thing to I think say. You're, I think you're exactly the right guy. And you know what? Time to take a break. I tell you, I loved everybody tweeting during this show. I think they, uh, this is not the only three-point shot that our audience hit. Big laughs coming from the tweets throughout the show. In the meantime, let's take a break. We got advertisers. Use the uh, promo codes if you're so inclined. We'll be back right after this with more phone call. For many of us, the day does not start until we get that morning energy boost. I'm talking about coffee, right? People love coffee. And now there's a new way to enjoy your daily cup of joe, thanks to Cafe Monster. Available in vanilla, mocha, 
salted caramel cafe monster shaken up the ready-to-drink coffee category with indulgent gourmet coffee that's only 190 calories. Not to mention, you got 150 milligrams of caffeine in there. From coffee beans, B vitamins, coffee fruit extract, Cafe Monster offers a simplified energy blend that contains a third less sugar than the leading national brand. In fact, it's 100 fewer calories per bottle than the competition. You wouldn't know that by tasting it, though. Instead, you get all the same feel and flavor as your local coffee house, and you do not need to wait in line. You're trying to wait in line behind somebody who's like, can I get it with the... Uh Coca, coconut milk. No, 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 no. You do it at home, okay? They uh, sent me a bunch of Cafe Monster. I've been sharing them with friends. Everybody loves them. It's a good thing. You're going to want to check it out. Throw some in the fridge. That way, when you're running out of the house, you don't have to stop and slow down and make coffee or buy coffee. You just have it right there. Cafe Monster. Chill it down. Shake it up. Enjoy. Oh, baby. Bombas. Bombas. What do I even say? First of all, I'm wearing them right now. Second of all, I don't care if they're an advertiser. I'll tell you something about my life. You know what I went and did for my anniversary gift to my wife? I got her eight pairs of Bombas socks. That is true. Out of pocket. They weren't hooking me up because they're an advertiser. I love the product so much. I went and bought them for my wife's anniversary gift. Thanks to two years of research and development and multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort, Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I wore them yesterday, wearing them today. I can vouch that this is true. They got an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most and a cushioned footbed that's reinforced for comfort without added bulkiness. Okay, Bombas feels like a hug around your foot. Not to mention... Bombas' stay-up technology ensures that your socks stay in place without leaving a mark. I have one pair that almost reaches my knees, and they never slip. It is insane. They are warm, and I can't wait to wear them in a New York winter. They got super soft cotton material. makes you never want to take them off. So whether you're a runner, power walker, power lounger, there's a pair of Bombas that'll add comfort to your life. I keep saying it. I love them so much. My wife recently asked me, do you know anyone who loves Bombas more than I do? And I said, no. And she's got great taste. You can trust it. Go to bombas.com slash stories. Use the code stories for 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash stories. Code stories, 20% off your first order. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Now let's get back to the phone call. Kitty did just tweet at me. Don't know if Chris is the right guy to talk about the struggles of being too masculine. Which I think is a fair thing to I think say. You're, I think you're exactly the right guy. I think you're exactly the right guy because if you if you were my friend, you would be one of those guys that I'm feeling really sorry about, and I'm feeling like this world is not cut for you, and and this world is actually not cut for anyone. I don't think. Well, thank you so it's much becoming, for the concern. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I've been. I've been kind of when I've been saying. I've been trying to to share my thoughts with friends. I've been saying that I I've come to the belief that men are perpetually in in an emotional jet lag, so they are never in front of their emotions. They're never in sync with their emotions. Their emotions is always like somewhere, somewhere else, somewhere outside, outside of them, somewhere past, possibly somewhere future, and they just. They just don't have their feet where their emotions are. And that's just in name, I think. It's just bullying. I, I think that the way this society is working is, is bullying everyone. And I'm one of those feminists who says, I think it's bullying men too. 
And I think, yeah, I think we should start there. Maybe if we start there, maybe the rest will follow. It's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I do hear what you're saying. That that to uh, it feels to me like what you're saying is that for for a, a male to grow up and say, I want to embrace the idea of being vulnerable or the idea of being sensitive or being empathetic might create a situation that makes yeah. me feel like a little bit of an outcast or like I'm declaring myself weak, which is not a thing that is appreciated, mm -hmm. especially when you're a teenage male and all those hormones come out that make yeah. you aggressive and where it does start to turn into that like animal instinct food chain thing. Here's the question, because I think that's all really beautiful thoughts, and I think that that's really, um, I think there's a lot of stuff that's really astute and thoughtful about that. I think the thing I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around, and that I would, I would wager maybe some of the people in this room or some of the people are, is it feels to me like there is a leap between that and saying that categorically it's hard to be a man right now. It might be hard to be a sensitive yeah. man, but I think that's always been true. It might be hard to be a non-traditional man, but I think that's... I can, I can totally be known for having some very extreme statements, um, and that's totally something that's part of my personality. So just take it as it is. It's an, extreme, it's a, it's an extremely worded statement that is just maybe a, a, a gross, um, how would you say, a gross shortcut um, into what I mean. Um, but maybe we don't put the same weight under the, the words because you said you said you you first translated it's hard to be a man into um, men men have, have trouble to have it their way which is not at all obviously I, I would be stupid to say <laughs> that it's tough for a man to have it their way of course not at all uh, so um, I don't know I, I guess I'm always talking about emotions. I think it, yeah. it's tough to be a man emotionally. You are it's very, not tough to be a man. You are a fascinating person with fascinating opinions. Let me say, because it is true. There's a lot of truth to what you say. Like you look at the whole, I, I don't know if this is an American phenomenon or, or if it is farther and wider, but this whole idea of these guys, the incels, if you're aware of these guys, involuntarily celibate. Yeah. These are guys who effectively yeah. can't, can't manage to uh, have sexual relations with women and therefore they have turned yeah. into a militant, violent sect, which is yeah. exactly like you're saying, this kind I think of like it's, broken yeah, reaction I think it's to the, masculinity. It's the carnival mask. I think it's the carnival mask of, of what could be happening for those men just generally. They're, they're the gross exaggeration of what could be happening for those men, because a lot of men do have this entitlement thing, uh, but but they've been they've been fed that entitlement thing all their lives as well, whether they had a choice or not. Um, I mean, the reverse. I, I, I'm starting to not know where I'm going, so I might not go anywhere at the end of this sentence. But do you mean do you mean conversationally <laughs> or uh, within Paris? Like, do you not know what neighborhood you're in, or do you mean we're kind of getting freeform oh, with this convo? Oh, my, I'm literally going from first floor to ground floor in this lift, and I'm just seeing people going through. That's, that's where I'm going. Like, right now, I'm looking outside, and, and I'm seeing the outside of the lift, and here we go. We're going down right now. 
and I'm gonna go with I'm gonna see the the subway, the white clinical subway uh, corridor. So this is where I'm going right now. <laughs> I don't quite know how, but that is somehow a metaphor for this entire conversation. I don't quite know how. <laughs> Maybe we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and nowhere in particular. <laughs> Some, I will tell you, someone in the crowd uh, just uh, sent me a reaction to your things, which I, I think here's what a lot of us in the room are having trouble wrapping our brains around. I'm going to read you a few reactions because I, I can feel, I feel like I'm sure. not the only one in this room of people going, I agree, I agree with this, but something feels off. Someone named L just tweeted at me. It just feels sort of counterintuitive to continue to center male experiences in the struggle against the patriarchy. Yeah, but I think the patriarchy is not helping men. Men should free themselves from the patriarchy as well for their own sake. I think the patriarchy is no one in particular. The patriarchy is is this big hierarchical system of a society that was built where everything is ranked. And everything we do and think and whatever is ranked and ordered in a in a in a hierarchy, and I, and I, and I think that is patriarchy. And I think men are, because of various evolutionary things. Um, well, actually, my, my my thinking really is is that men are at the top because they are not in control of making babies. And that's why they took the top by force to be in control of babies, because before that they were not. And, uh, and I think it's because they're afraid of their lack of control or worried of their lack of control about making babies that they took, they took that top position by force and they've, they've held it ever since. So patriarchy is this big kind of faceless monster coming from evolution, but Individually, men are individually like the, the guy who is sat next to you or behind you. He is not patriarchy. I think he's a victim of patriarchy just as much. No, not as much. I will not say that. <laughs> not as much. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you said that. As, as 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 other people, but I mean, yes, I, I know. I I can't say I can't say men are victims as much as women or whatever, but. They do die as well. You know what I mean? Men are, because of this alpha male bullshit, they die in fights, they die in wars, they die in all that alpha male hierarchical bullshit. And, uh, sorry, my call is one big sorry Sally. Can we agree on that? <laughs> is one big what? Um, sorry Sally. Oh, yeah. That's okay. Um, so... So yeah, uh, on one hand, I I cannot, especially being a woman and being a cis woman myself, I cannot say that that men are victims of the patriarchy as, as much as, as others. But there is a part in me saying, wait, aren't they? Are you sure they're not? Is your scientific brain bracket? I'm not a scientist. Is your is your scientific brain agreeing with the fact that do you have the actual figures do you know you know do, do you know how many men actually die in all this alpha male bullshit and i don't know i think i think everyone is a victim and even myself 
doing this right now, going like, oh, men are more a victim or less a victim or women are more a victim or less a victim. I'm again a victim of that fucking hierarchical system, which is everywhere and should not be. It's not because someone is suffering and someone, is, someone else is suffering that we have to rank the suffering. Both are suffering and we should try to we should try to save them both if we really are anti-discriminatory. I once watched... You see what I mean? There was once they... Uh, I once couldn't sleep and there was uh, a documentary on cable television that I saw and it was about chimpanzees. And they talked about mm-hmm. how if there's a group of male chimps and they are in their habitat, if they're, if they're you, know, um, uh, you know, just doing their thing and they realize that there's another group of male chimps nearby that they will quietly mm-hmm. form uh, straight lines and they will walk through the forest um, and, and uh, come upon these other male chimps and ambush them in formation. And then they have mm-hmm. a very specific order of events where they rip apart the, the face and then the fingers and then the toes and then the testicles. And this documentary I've... pointed out that humans and chimps, which are our closest genetic relatives on Earth, I believe, are the only two species on Earth that kill each other for fun and that get in lines and do it in these military formations. And that blew my mind of like, oh, there might be something as basic as if you're a guy, you might need to overcome a little bit of programming that tells you to just be kind of fucked up. But being that we're humans and not chimps, maybe we can work a little harder on choosing to do that. Anyway. You said what I was going to say. You said what I was going to say. I mean, you're a vegetarian or you're, you're flexitarian, maybe. I don't know where you're at with your vegetarianism. Yeah, I'm, I'm pescatarian. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. You're, you're what, sir? I still eat fish, yeah. Oh, you're pescatarian. Okay. So uh, we're in front of a London crowd, and I'm sure there's a ton of vegetarian in there. So we are programmed to do some stuff, and we choose not to do them. So you said exactly what I said. First of all, I believe that it's actually bonobos who are our closest um, relatives, and they are very nonviolent, extremely nonviolent, to the point that they're actually shag to, uh, to solve issues. Uh, and also, uh, I do think, but don't quote me on that, and if there's any scientists who actually know their shit in the, in the audience, uh, please let us know. I do think that this whole thing about chimps being the only violent um, animal outside of uh, human beings, I think this, this has been debunked since. I think this is not true. Uh, but I'm not I sure. Mean, Laura did just also tweet at me, dolphins are fucked up too. That's another thing that just came <laughs> in. And also, you know what animal is surprisingly fucking weird? Is otters, man. Look it up. We think otters are real cute. They are fucking <laughs> monsters of the sea. Uh, 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 freshwater, freshwater. Uh, but they're fucked up. Anyway, what was that other thing you were talking about? That neuro, what's the neuro thing? Oh, the neurotypical. Um, it's okay. So, you, do you know what a bell curve is? A bell curve? Yeah, a bell curve, like a bell, like a jingle bell, bell curve. I'm aware that that's a thing that exists. <laughs> oh, is it gonna be like a? Oh, what was that? What was that episode when you said? Uh, the, oh, the the, the fruit fly. 
Oh, bloody hell. I heard, I heard that episode of the, the fruit fly. And you were like, I know what a fly is. I know what a fruit fly is. And as soon as you started saying how big you thought the fruit fly is, you said it was bigger than a mosquito. In my head, I was like, he doesn't know what a fruit fly is. So, <laughs> do you remember that episode? You're bringing up our last live call when I made a fool out of myself. Thank you for allowing... <laughs> Now another audience on the other side of a, an entire ocean to also laugh at my inability to identify a fruit fly correctly. But I mean, that, that it's just because you said, oh, I know that the bell curve exists. I, I, I noticed that you've become significantly more cautious. <laughs> I am. I, I mean, if this podcast has made me aware of anything, it's that I do not know everything. That is a very good thing. Also, a guy named Max is really pissed that I talk shit about otters. I'm sorry about that, Max. Max put in all caps, you keep otters out of this, Chris. A fair reaction to I otter mean, you, you did. You did rehabilitate sea otters. You are a whirlwind of a human being. You really are. Why? <laughs> I feel I, I, I feel like here's cause, and I say this in a complimentary fashion. My experience talking to you is like I'm standing at the edge of, I'm standing on a beach right at the edge of the sea, and I have no idea how large the next wave is going to be. <laughs> That's what I feel like. Like, it might just be a pleasant thing that cools me up to my knees, or it might be a tsunami that smashes me backwards and forces me to swim from my life. I never know if you're going to be like, oh, I remember that charming moment from the last call. Or if you're going to be like, hey, what's it like to be a man in 2018? Go. I don't know what's going to happen with you. I don't know. I feel, I feel like I, I know. Do you get this a lot from people? I know. It's a pe Oh, you, you know what? Actually, what I get a lot from people is that I'm really good at making people really comfortable. <laughs> I, I mean, really comfortable, not really uncomfortable. People feel very at ease with me. <laughs> really? They feel that like they can really talk. Because <laughs> people say that about me. Maybe it's like when two ends of a do. magnet come together and push each other apart. Because I feel like I'm walking <laughs> into a bear trap every time I start to speak to you. Okay, so let, maybe let's let's put me under the under the the, the, the hot iron then. Uh, yeah, maybe the microscope. So, I will. Uh, I will say that so someone in the crowd, uh, Milan, just tweeted. As someone who is French, I do recognize the French spirit of trying to cause trouble and argue because we love it. That is something that was just put out there, <laughs> which I didn't know was a thing until right now. Yeah, I'm slightly, I'm slightly miffed that you didn't actually pick up on the whole, uh, oh, I don't like England thing, seeing as we're in London. <laughs> Wait, I don't... really thought that you would just for, just for the sheer uh, joy of me arguing with 400 people or however many you are, 4,000, whatever. It's closer to 4,000, absolutely. Um, definitely closer to 4,000, yeah. It's probably like 3,900 something. So you're saying that before you were actively trying to pick a fight with our entire audience and I missed it. I think it's a good time to pause. I gotta say, as an American standing on stage, I'm not so surprised I missed these subtle jabs between the French and the English. Those go back centuries, and I don't know if I'll quite ever understand the complexities of that relationship. Hey, we got advertisers. Check out their products and services. We'll be back right after this with more phone call. I'm about to tell you 
about something called Calm. And I'm happy to do it because guess who's been using Calm for years? My mom, Sally herself, who you've heard referenced. She uses Calm. To the stories we tell sometimes keep you up at night. You have a hard time relaxing after listening to this podcast. I get it. Sometimes these things are a little grim, a little stressful, okay? Maybe uh, stress is infecting your life. That's why we're excited to partner with Calm, the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. Calm gives you the tools you need to live a happier, healthier, and more mindful life like sleep stories, soothing tales read by well-known voices to help you unwind and fall into a deep sleep each evening. It's like bedtime stories for grown-ups. They also have sleep stories for kids too. They also have sleep meditations from a series of 10-minute sessions to help change your relationship with sleep to sleep meditations that guide you to release tension throughout your body, soothe your mind, drift into dreamland, or maybe you're more into music, right? Calm Music offers sleep tracks designed to help you fall asleep and relax. Just five minutes of calm can change your whole day. No wonder it was named Apple's 2017 app of the year. And hey, if it's good enough for Sally good enough for you, all right? That lady's not messing around. If you're interested in trying for a limited time, beautiful anonymous listeners can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash beautiful. Includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content and premium programs. Get started today at calm.com slash beautiful. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash beautiful. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now, live from London, England, Let's finish off the phone call. So you're saying that before you were actively trying to pick a fight with our entire audience and I missed it. <laughs> yes, you did. And that French person didn't. They could, they could, they could smell the... So you're saying there's a whole the room of English people you were trying to taunt and there's one French guy out here that was like, I see what this is about. I think exactly, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. What yeah, were you yeah, trying yeah, to start I, I, the fight about? One of, what were you hoping to get in a fight with our audience about? I'm happy to bring it back up. No, no. No, no, it's just because, I mean, it actually ties, it actually ties with, the, with the neurodiversity thing. It's, uh, it's from a very long stay that I had in England for a series of very long jobs that, very long story, incredibly short, I found out that I was on the neurodiversity spectrum at the age of 42. I, I did not know that I was, but basically I did not know that my brain was not functioning the same way as, as 99.3 people. Um, so yeah, that was a, a big discovery, which I owe not entirely, but the, the, the starting point I owe to, um, to England and the way um, the way social interactions are uh, uh, coded and built in uh, in that society, which um, which is a way that I, I my brain cannot comprehend. And, so, uh, yeah. So. so you're saying the experience of interacting with people in England showed you that your brain operates differently than 99.3 percent of human beings. Yes, apparently. Apparently so. I've been told 99.3% for, for me specifically, but apparently for, for, the, for the bigger group of people like me, it's, uh, it's, it's 98%. It's, so, there's, there's, there's about 2% of people who have the same kind of neuro atypical 
brain as me, but it's it's kind of like gender or race. It's kind of all bullshit, isn't it? It's all spectrum, so, really. But when anyway. we say the words, uh, the phrase neurodiversity, I, I can't say that I'm so familiar. Is this does this mean when you say spectrum? I know that sometimes things like autism or Aspergers are referred to as on the spectrum. Is yeah, exactly. That's okay. So that's the type yeah, exactly. So as, as, Aspergers and autism. I am not autistic, and I'm not. As, uh, I don't have Aspergers, but it is this kind of thing. It it is it is a functioning of the brain which is not in the majority of people on that on that bell curve yes. we were talking about. So um, so yeah. Okay, and I'm, I'm on I'm on. You are on that. Sorry, spectrum. yeah. I was just going to read. Now, yeah. what what was it about interacting with the English people that revealed this to you? I think we'd all like to know. Um, yeah. Um, the, the English society is, as we all know around the planet, a very polite society, although politeness is very uh, subjective. So for a French person, there, there are some stuff that the English will do, which we will find very uh, offensive. But on, overall, it's a very, very polite society. But it's also an extremely coded society. And... Um, Overall, I, I'm, I'm sorry, London, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to make very broad generalizations the whole way. So overall, it's very coded, and overall, they are trying with they are trying to avoid conflict. It's a very non-conflicting, non-conflictive society, and uh, and their social codes and their interaction codes are are based on on the on the avoiding conflict principle. And on another hand, it's also based on the live and let live principle. So quite a, a, an individualistic uh, principle, like I'm doing my shit, you're doing your shit. Let's be happy together next to each other, but uh, let's not um, interfere, which is very non-French. French interfere a lot into other people's lives. I um, feel like I'm actively here is- as an American for the entertainment of a listening audience in the future actively trying to fan the flames of a millennials old rivalry between two entire nations. And I think I want to call that. I know that I'm doing that. I can feel the nervousness of the crowd as I'm actively asking a person who grew up French to criticize the English as an American. What a bad idea. Anyway, continue. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so, so basically, I, uh, for me, as as a foreigner, possibly French foreigner, particularly, the the, the codes of the, the society is too com- complex for me to grasp on a daily basis, because in France we're not we're, we don't care about as as your as your um, French audience member rightly said, we don't give a shit if there is a conflict or someone saying no or someone disagreeing with us. We can totally deal with that. It ends up usually with lots of wine and a very, very lengthy, very approximately, approximate, approximate conversation. But we, we kind of find it fun and we have no problem with this and we're still friends um, sometimes. Uh, but uh, the English have more of a problem with this overall on, on, a, on as a society, unless they're with very, very good friends of of there. Um, uh, so 
if I, when I'm when I'm interacting with English people, there there are a lot of little things that they say which I don't know how to decode. So, for example, um, I'm, I'm probably not going to do justice to this because I didn't think about examples before jumping on this call. But um, uh, if if we agree, if if for example, this is something that happened to me. Okay. So it was my birthday. I say to a lot of people, hey, it's my birthday. Come and come in that day, that time. And uh, I only had yeses or maybes. And all of those yeses and maybes, the maybes, I thought, okay, uh, they are maybes. So the people will really try to come. So maybe out of, which I'm sure all the English people in front of you are going like, nah, nah, girl, that's not what they meant. But they know, but I didn't know that. So there was so, a knowing chuckle that me, maybe does not mean maybe in England. That's what... So it sounds like you're saying that where you grew up, people are very blunt, tell it like it is, they don't mind if they make you mad. And the, English, the stereotype of the English to never want to offend uh, made you feel like you were unable to process what they really meant in a way that made you realize you were... Um, on on the spectrum. Yeah, um, yeah. Basically, from staying in England really long, I never knew what people were telling me. Yeah. I was always, I was very, very often in situations when I was sad or disappointed because things um, things I understood were not the things that I should understand. So I was very often disappointed or sad. It made me feel um, insecure with myself. It made yeah. me feel like people don't like me or whatever. And, uh, and, and, and a whole cascade of events, whatever. And I had depression. And at the end of that, well, at the end of that depression, from the beginning of that depression, I was trying to understand what was going on with me. And uh, what helped me come out of that depression was when um, someone pointed at the fact that I, I really talk like someone who's on, who has that particular um, condition, and I should get uh, my cognition tested uh, because I might have that condition. I talk like someone like this, and I did, and I do. <laughs> I did get Look my cognition that. tested. You should never go to condition. Canada. Never go. The Canadians make the, <laughs> the Canadians know, make it feel like the English just tell it like it is, man. Like, I was once on an Air Canada flight <laughs> and I had put my bag uh, above me, and then the fasten seatbelt sign came on, and I realized that I had left my headphones in my bag, and I stood up and unbuckled my seatbelt. The plane wasn't moving or anything; it was sitting on the runway, and I opened up the thing, and the flight attendant came up to me and went, "Thank you, sir. Thank you," and I was like. <laughs> You're welcome. I was like, you're, you're welcome. And then she was like, sir, thank you. And I was like, yeah, no sweat. Like, yeah. She's oh, like, wow. sir, thank oh, wow. you. And I was like, no problem. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm really glad it's working for you. And then I realized, oh, in Canada, thank you means fuck you. That's what I realized. That's what I realized. We're getting some very fun reactions yeah, uh, to your, this whole idea about like, um, how the, the English propensity for politeness revealed some stuff to you. There's a lot of reactions that I'm getting a kick out of. Katie said, the English don't much like England either. That was a good reaction that I thought and didn't quite oh, understand. No. Um, someone said, uh, Claire no, I... said, I assume in a London audience, the majority of us are not English anyway. I don't know if that's... Laura, I don't know what this reference means, but I have a feeling the crowd's reaction will reveal a lot to me. Laura said she hasn't been out in Newcastle. 
don't know what that means. No, I know, I know. I know, I should say, yeah, no, she's right, she's right. I should say the north of England is, is a place that I can actually function a bit better because uh, they're, a bit, they're, they're talking sh- <laughs> I'm going to have to learn about Newcastle talking- after this. Sean put one that makes my heart yeah, yeah. very happy. I believe he's referring to an American trying to get the French and English to fight on a podcast. Sean simply said, this is perfect for somebody from Ireland, which I enjoy that reaction as well. I feel like that's what he meant. Oh, that kitty points out, in, it's like in New York when hello does not mean hello, it means move, which is very true. If a New Yorker's ever like, hello, <laughs> that means get the fuck out of my way before I push you down this escalator. That what it means. Um, someone, oh, like... But I... I, I oh, go for it, yeah. Oh, well, I was just, just going to say, I need to say that uh, there is no... I'm not saying that the English have it wrong or they should not like their countries or whatever. I, I'm just saying it doesn't work for me, but it works beautifully for the English and the people who can get that, that range of social good. Uh, because it's a very peaceful society to live in, incredibly peaceful. Yeah, to live in. it's a beautiful it place. Definitely works for them. This makes me assume that because and you I live in Slovenia, it. Slovenians are like the most direct, rude people in the world. I, it's just doing the math. Although, who knows? I will now get angry tweets from Slovenia. Um, I do. I will say that Martin just gave a reaction that made me laugh quite hard. Let's lighten this up and talk about Brexit. That's uh, <laughs> as we have this tense moment of. Uh, a, a caller calling a live show in England to criticize the English. <laughs> Let's just lighten it up and talk about <laughs> Brexit. We have about nine minutes left, caller. Yeah. About oh. nine minutes left. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did stay in England very long and I do have very fond, um, I've got a very strong fondness for England, but it's just, what can I say? It's like a relationship that, that, that was, Really nice, started nice and was nice and long and, and fun and stuff. And at the end of it, you're like, okay, so we're not really made for each other for life. And it was a nice story and, and a nice book to keep, to keep on our shelf. But let's close that book. And, and, I think that's and, beautiful to realize that and realize, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can go. It's funny. I know exactly what you mean, though, because I, I tell you, when I did, I, my, I did a show called Career Suicide and I did a run of it in London and mm-hmm. it, it put me in yeah. my head. And one of the things that put me in my head, I, I was, I was uh, practicing it for HBO. And that had not been um, um, made clear to the theater. So the show was about 75 minutes long. They thought it was 60. And my agent from America called me and said, someone from the theater called the British promoter. The British promoter called us. Your show is too long. And I was really freaked out. Um, I look back now and realize that nobody wanted to have a face-to-face confrontation with me because they thought that that would make me very uncomfortable but in my mind as a neurotic human being I was like well now I just know someone's mad at me and I don't know who so I'm showing up at this theater every night assuming everyone's mad at me it had the opposite of the intended effect what do you think about Americans I think you've summed up well one of my partners is American the one who lives in London is American the one who Um, the one who lives in London is American. Okay. And how do you feel about the Americans? So, uh, I know people got strong opinions about us, too. I find, I find that, I mean, we kind of covered this with the whole masculinity thing. That there is quite a lot of masculine toxicity going around because this go-getter attitude puts a lot of pressure 
on everyone and uh, and there is there is a big big pressure to succeed and a big big pressure to be positive and to never complain uh, and uh, and smile and um, and yes yeah, just a lot I, I find that there's a lot of pressure for being the best all the time which I, you know we kind of covered that before I, I think it's there's very little room for humanity there. There's very little room for for how are you actually? How really are you? And how do you experience this whatever you're experiencing? Was it bad for you? Was it you know, there's not you guys are it's it's really great to work with you because you guys are always like, Yeah, we're doing this shit, da 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 but sometimes I'm thinking who in in that group I have in front of me is not going so well and doesn't dare to say they they're not going so well. So um, do you find as an American there's a lot of pressure in your in your culture? Yeah, I mean, there I think there is some pressure. I do I, you know there's the whole idea of the American dream. You start with nothing and then you go and you conquer the world and manifest yeah. destiny. Go west. And there is a, I think you know I think I'm a workaholic and I think a big part of that is this idea of like you got to outwork the generation before you and you got to accomplish things mm -hmm. and and uh everything. I I will say L just tweeted truly typical of Americans to make everything ultimately about themselves. I think that's <laughs> getting a fair round of us. Uh in there, yeah, I don't know. There's some pressure, but then you know, there also is a little bit of a like. I know my wife and I uh, very often when we travel abroad, people ask us where we're from, and we quickly say New York. We don't say America. We say New York, thinking uh, that maybe Europeans yeah. will go. That's that's a cosmopolitan city, and we get that you guys aren't, uh, you know, the 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 Trump that's, the Trump country. Yeah, you know? that's, that's that's totally what happens. Someone just actually vomited in the me. crowd. I said Trump, and someone actually just went. <laughs> Oh, I wish it was true. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, one of my best friends is actually American. She's from Brooklyn, and it's the same. I met her in, in, on a job here in, in Bristol, in fact. And uh, same as you, she never said she was American, and Trump wasn't even on, wasn't even on the stage at that point. Uh, at that point, it was Bush, I believe, um, which was bad enough, too. Um, so, so, yeah, she, she always said she was New Yorker, and uh, she was found that it went a bit more smoothly, but she still got attacked a lot just from, just from being American. I, uh, I guess I, 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 the, first, the first time I came to London, George W. Bush was still in office, and I took a cab. And uh, I, I, I started to tell the, the taxi driver where I was going, and I got maybe six words into the sentence, and he cut me off. And went, ah, you guys are ruining the world. And I have to say, he did not fit uh, the English yeah. stereotype of politeness. Uh, that we're talking about. He was very, he fit the stereotype yeah. of an English cabbie who was not thrilled to have an American in his vehicle. And yeah, I immediately well, I was like, I know, I know, what can I do? I'm just a weird guy with glasses. I'm not ruining the world. I'm trying to be a citizen of the world. And I bet, I bet you gave him a tip anyway. Do you, do you have like a list of shameful moments I've brought up before in your pocket? <laughs> no, I'm just that smart. 
you know what I think is very fascinating about you? You know what I think is super fascinating about you? Between both your commentary on the interactions between different world cultures and your perceptions of what it means to be a man and how men fit into you know, a feminist uh, movement in 2018, is that you're someone who has said that you are on um, the spectrum in a way that sets you apart, but it's actually in many ways so clearly giving you, your outsider status has given you ability to sort of take in things and think about them and analyze them in a way that I find very, very interesting. Yeah, but it's weird that, I mean, I, I don't know, because it's only, I'm 43 and I found that out last November. Can you imagine? In my whole life, I found that out last November. So my whole life, I lived it as an alien. Like, I really, really felt that something was weird with me. And I really felt that some, I felt I was stupid. I felt that I didn't get it. Like, when I was in England, was before knowing that I was on the spectrum. And, uh, and I felt, what's going what's wrong with you you just can't you can't do this you can't do it you, yeah i just felt weird so you are hard. saying that you spent and, four decades never really thinking that anything might be off and then after just a short time in england you were like i think my mind is broken i think my mind is broken <laughs> well you know what I, i'm sorry to say but yes it was it was it was because England had such an extreme way to interact compared to what I could actually adapt to. I just could not adapt to England. It's too extreme for me. The, the, the social coding and the social interaction, I, I think I would die in Japan as well. Uh, I, it's not, I, I don't understand. I think there is something with people like me, which uh, apparently it's very, very often that uh, people like me can really understand uh, people, which is why people really like to talk to me because they find me very empathetic and they, they find that I really get them. A number of people who tell me, wow, it's crazy, I don't know you and you really get me and whatever, which honestly, Chris, maybe look at that uh, spectrum thing because maybe that might apply to you too. Um, so anyway, um, so yeah, people really, really think that I really get them. And at the same time, I don't understand when they actually say words to me. And it's it's, it's, I've come to the, I've come to the conclusion that, um, it's because I understand their, I understand what they mean, and there is a dissonance between what they mean and what they say to me. I have to interrupt. Did someone just tweeted, Sorry. did she say one of my partners? Are we missing a whole conversation on polyamory? Did oh, baby, there are a lot of conversations you're missing with me. <laughs> Leave it to your old pal, Gethard, to miss that one. I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Some last-second reactions to this. Uh, Martin saying, I'm pretty sure she's Scottish and just pulling your leg. Uh, that's one. Milan, our French friend, uh, who said, the security guys looking at the security climb of that elevator is probably on the verge of calling the police after she did 30 ups and downs. And I think the best one that I could end this evening on, Sam reacting to her experience in England by saying a simple, fuck, we broke her. And that's all we had. You guys, I want to thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for supporting Beautiful Anonymous. Really means the world to me. It's been such a lovely time. Thank you so much for coming out. Have a great night.
caller, thank you again for calling. And also everybody in London who came out to the show, thank you for coming. It was so cool to meet you. It's just a really great experience. Thanks so much. And caller, I wish you the best. I hope you're doing well. And I hope we can all uh, solve society's issues together through these honest and elevated conversations. Thanks so much. Thanks to Jared O'Connell, who helps the show every week. As you guys know, the backbone of the show. Also traveled to England. Traveled all the way to England for this one. Thank you, Jared, for stepping up. Thank you, Harry Nelson, for all your help organizing this show. Thank you, Justin Linville. Thank you, Shellshag, for the music. Want to know when we're doing more live touring dates? Go to chrisgeth.com. There's a lot of dates up there right now. Go check them out. If you want to help the show, Apple Podcasts, right? Rate, review, subscribe. It really helps so much. See you next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, a survivor of a world-famous tragedy calls in, lets us know what it was like. You know what? When I thought it was fireworks, I thought, you know, maybe it was part of the show. Right. You know, he was the, it was the last day. He was the last act. You know, he's, he's a fun performer. I thought it was just part of the show. Right. Um, until my husband threw me down and laid on top of me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So someone... So the performer on stage, someone sent them word or sent them a signal like you got you got to get out of there right now. And what yeah. happens? He and the band just take off, and you all realize, oh, that's not a thing that ever happens. Yeah. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. <laughs>